Good morning, church. My name is Olivia Riley, and today I'm going to be reading the scripture for us. Today our, gospel, our scripture is from the Gospel of Luke. You can follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'm going to be reading from chapter 3, verses 21 through 22, from the New International Version. It reads, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from the heaven, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Olivia. Let's uh, just take a moment and... um, center our hearts, our minds, as we uh, prepare to move through this scripture together. So Holy Spirit, we pause for a moment, and we ask you to come and challenge us, disrupt us, wake us up in areas that need to be woken, stir in us an affection for you that's deeply rooted in the deepest form of what is most real. And in this world that we live in where chaos seems to be swirling around and the events that we saw on Wednesday at the Capitol and the breakdown of systems and power, all the blame shifting, the division, the separation that's happening in our country where families are being split in two. Holy Spirit, enter into the chaos, bring order, bring truth, shed light on these things. Help us as your followers to be that creative minority of people that always rise up when all seems bleak and dark, and we help lead people to greater degrees of love and hope and peace. Help us not to be part of the problem, but to be part of the solution. So instruct us now, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts and our minds and open us up to who you are. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. So last week, we ended our time together with a spiritual practice, and the spiritual practice was centered around the question, it's an evergreen thing, and we filled out, uh, those of you at home listening filled out, and those of you who were present in the building filled out a little card that said, We do not. Instead, we are a people who. Now, as I was reading through the results, there was one particular comment that kept coming up in just about every other card. So I'm thinking maybe you all copied each other. (laughs) Maybe there was some cheating going on in the room. But the number one thing that came up, and this was an overwhelming majority, is that we as an evergreen church, as a people, do not judge others. Instead, we are a people who are open to embracing all, wherever they are at in their journey. That was kind of paraphrased, but pulling it all together, that was the general consensus. And the question that I asked myself was, is that true? We will find out, won't we? As I get to know you, as you get to know me, but I wanted to get a sense of of who we think we are as a people, or who do we hope we are becoming as a people? What kinds of people do we want to be in the world is the question that I'm oftentimes asking myself as a leader. What what kinds of people do we want to be? How how do we want people to see us in the world? What kind of a presence do we want to be in the world? 
We heard this text this morning out of Luke chapter 3, verse 21 through 22, where Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and God makes a declaration over Jesus. And one of the questions that I oftentimes ask myself whenever I'm looking at a text or a story in the Scripture is, could this author, and in particular in the New Testament, could this author be pulling from a bigger story? You see, these authors in the New Testament had all sorts of oral traditions that were swirling around, stories that they could have pulled from. And so when they plop a certain story in the text, I will ask the question, why this story? Why, why this one in particular? And this one around Jesus' baptism shows up in three gospel accounts, Matthew, Luke, and Mark. And we see this occurrence of what is it that they're pulling from? We have an image of God's Spirit hovering over the waters. And I thought, this sounds like a familiar story. Where, where is Luke pulling this story from? Where is Matthew pulling this story from? If you go got back in God's bigger story, I think we could go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, page 1 of God's story. In Genesis 1 verse 2, it says, the Spirit of God was hovering over chaos. Now, to the Hebrew mind, water that's written in the text in Genesis 1-2 represented chaos. It was disorder. So we see the Spirit of God hovering over disorder, hovering over chaos. And instead of moving away from it or remaining indifferent towards it, we see God moving towards it and creates order through chaos. Now, in John's account, or I'm sorry, in Luke's account, we see the Father coming to Jesus and Jesus coming up out of the water, God the Father makes a declaration, and then Jesus moves into the world, and he begins to put things back into the right. In Matthew's account, I want to read this to you this morning. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Again, I thought, oh my gosh, this, this story sounds like a new creation story, doesn't it? It's got elements of new creation, that Jesus is the new creation coming into the world of chaos and beginning to create order. And God, through Jesus, begins to right all the things that are wrong. He puts us back into right relationship with God. He puts us back into right relationship with people. He puts us back into right relationship with ourselves. All that is crooked and bent, God says, through Jesus, I'm going to start to make those pathways straight again and put order back into the chaos. This is my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased, he says. Now, observation in the text Jesus hasn't done anything yet. He hasn't led a ministry campaign. He hasn't led the organization into a building campaign. He hasn't organized teams. He hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't even preached any sermons yet. And yet this is the, de the declaration that God begins with. This is my son, and with him I am well pleased. I call this the divine blessing. The divine blessing is declared upon Jesus, his son, right out of the gate, even before he does anything, says anything, moves into a deeper sense of mission. 
And I thought about the divine blessing, and I am convinced more and more as I look into the human story that every human being that I interact with is looking for this divine blessing. We all know at a very deep level that we were created to be delighted in. We know it. It is our birthright to be created and to be delighted in. We know that deep downside, and it may not be at a conscious level, but at a subconscious level, we understand, at a cellular level, we understand that we were created to be delighted in. And God utters a declaration over his son, this is my son with him, I am well pleased. Those words are spoken over Humanity, as soon as you come screaming into the world, that declaration is made over you. You are my daughter, and with you, I am well pleased. Imagine how that changes everything in terms of how we start, because how we start has a lot to say with where we end up or how we end up in our journey through life. But to begin with that declaration that you are my daughter, and with you, I am well pleased. The divine blessing is given to us even before we utter a word, even before we make a move, even before we accomplish anything, it's already given to us. My daughter, Alex, is 22. As a 22-year-old, she lives in the world of TikTok, TikTok videos are like the thing, and she sends us TikTok videos every week in which my wife and I will sit and we'll delight in TikTok together. So she sent this one TikTok video a couple of weeks ago, and as I watched it, I thought about this text, and I thought, oh my gosh, this, this right here says it all. It's the thing that we want, and I want you to watch this video for a moment. So Carl, if you could slam that thing and make it happen, let's do it. Who's there? <laughs> Is that Dada? <laughs> Is that Dada? I can't. Dada. Dada? I will. <laughs> you wanna go you wanna go give me a kiss? <laughs> oh gosh. Oh that thing always wrenches my heart every time I watch it. What's happening here? That baby babies don't do anything. They, they don't. Like, if you had a baby, it's like, what does this baby do for you? Nothing. They poop. They sleep. They scream. They yell at you in all, all waking hours of the night. They do nothing, but they are so delightful. And then to see Rosie, that's her name, and just the anticipation of dad coming in the room is too much for her to contain, that she is overjoyed, that there's something happening inside of her body and her brain and her mind that, oh, my God, my dad's coming <laughs> And I can barely keep it together. And then you just hear dad in the background laughing. 
There's like this joyful expression, this connection of the father looking at the daughter, and all they're doing is looking at each other. They're not even doing anything, just looking at each other and delighting in one another. And I thought, oh, that's it. That's what we all want. We all want to know that the thing on the other side, that's the person that's looking at us, that even a group of people looking at us understand that they are delighted to see us. And when people delight in us, there's something that awakens inside of the human mind, in the brain, in the soul, in the body, in the spirit. There's something that comes alive in all of us. It's that divine blessing that all of us are chasing after. We want it. We crave it. We know we were made for it. But here's the problem. We are convinced that we have to do something in order to get it. And it gets perpetuated in religion. We get into church communities, and all of a sudden we start to learn about love and grace and peace, but we understand that, wait a minute, there's all these things that I have to do in order to be accepted. And so it starts to switch into a different transition. And so we move into this transaction between us and God and between us and God's people that there, there's got to be things that, that I can do in order to achieve this. And I call this the religious impulse. And this religious impulse exists in every one of us as people. And along comes Jesus, God the Father, delighting in humanity, delighting in creation, delighting over his son, making a declaration And Jesus comes up out of the chaos and he begins to move into relationships, making things that are crooked straight. All those people out in the margins who have been told that they're no longer acceptable the way that they are, God brings them into the center. Those who thought they were out are now in. In fact, the ones who are in are are beginning to understand maybe we don't fully understand what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. And God delights in people and continues to draw them into deeper senses of joy and love and grace. And he begins to transform the human heart. And we see Jesus moving into his teachings. And, and right out of the gate, after Jesus receives this declaration, he moves up on a mountainside and he begins to teach people. And what does he say? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. My translation to that is, blessed are those who are thoroughly screwed up, who haven't pulled it off, are a complete mess, or at the end of their rope, have no idea which way is up any longer. If you're in that position, you are blessed. That's good news. That's the counterintuitive announcement of the kingdom of God that Jesus declares over humanity. These are the people who are actually in. These are the people who are actually going to fully understand that this is how It works, but we all have this thing called this religious impulse. And this religious impulse drives us into deeper senses of duty. It turns all the joy into, uh, we have to do this. You hear that quite a bit. We have to, or we should be. And all of those have tos and those shoulds get heavy and super hard. And before we know it, all the joy gets sucked out of following Jesus. And so we become these joyless tanks. We hear words in the scriptures, and instead of those being words of delight and lightness, there's a heaviness that comes to it. For example, Jesus says after he is baptized and he comes up out of the water and he receives this declaration, he moves into humanity. And what does he begin with in Matthew's gospel? He uses the word repent. Now, repent 
has got a whole bunch of tags attached to it for us. It feels like a super heavy word, doesn't it? Repent. 2021, repent. And it can be really heavy and daunting. Now, the word repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, and metanoia talks about renewing the mind, rethinking. And in the West, we love talking about the mind. We are so ingrained in the mind, but we are typically very focused on the left, ba- of the left brain, the left part of the brain, which talks about information. We gather all this information, and we think all that information is going to lead us to deeper senses of transformation. And we forget about the right brain. And the right brain is that abstract part. It's where joy lives. It's where all, the, all that love and that, those feelings and expressions live inside the right brain. But we're so conditioned to just kind of think our way into transformation. And as I thought about this word, repent, I went back to the Hebrew roots. And the, and the Hebrew word for repent is teshuva. And teshuva means return, which raises a question. If Jesus says, teshuva, what is he saying? Return. Return to what? Return where? Like, what do you mean return? And I thought, what if, what if teshuva, repent, meant turn around and look? Look at your creator. Look at that dad coming up the stairs like Rosie going, oh my gosh, my dad's coming in the room. I can barely keep it together. I can barely contain myself because he's about to enter the room and wait until you see my dad because it all comes unglued when dad walks in the room. And she's so excited and so overjoyed. She can barely even stay up. I mean, babies have a hard enough time staying up, but when your joy starts to explode in your body, you can barely keep yourself straight up because she just wants to lean in to the Father because joy has taken over the human mind. What if we thought of repentance instead of, you gotta be really, 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 really sorry. You know about the really sorries? And I'm like, you just get it right and you're super repentant and you promise never, ever, ever to do it again? What if repentance was, att- was attached to the idea of absolute joy and delight to return back to who you really are instead of trying to pretend to be something that you're not, but to return back to who you are into deeper realms of joy so that your life can actually experience transformation, the very thing that we want anyways. To see God as the one delighting in us? What if we were a community of people who could say to one another, repent, come on back to who you really are? Remember what we said last week, that one of the things that we want to do is remember who we are. Every time we gather, we want to remember. Why? Because it leads to deeper senses of repentance. When I forget who I am, I act like a fool when I remember who I am and remember whose I am and remember that God is seeing me and delighting in me and I delight in him as I look back, that changes my heart. That changes the motivation center of my very being. It transforms me into who I already am, that the declaration that I am a son and God delights in me, that he is transforming me, that changes everything. You know, when we when we fall into the category of having to perform that religious impulse, that actually when you feel the need to perform, do you know that that actually depletes joy in your life? 
Imagine being part of a community where you come in and you feel like you have to be a certain way and do a certain thing and you have to put on this air and be a performer and be a doer and all these things that we try to put on that depletes joy. I was listening to Elise preach back in Advent. You were talking about joy and you kept talking about cultivating joy. And something inside of me, Elise, was just like springing forth as you were talking about cultivating joy. And I was like, I, I want to do that. I want to cultivate it. And then I thought about our roles as pastors here. And what if, what if your role was you were a cultivator of joy in this place? That that is what you are. When, when people are around you, at least, they experience joy, your sarcasm, your biting humor, <laughs> your, your just who you are as a person, a cultivator of joy, and I thought, man, instead of being the lead pastor, the head honcho here, what kind of a cultivator am I? Am I a cultivator of joy? Am I a cultivator of peace? What does the world need right now? More lead pastors or more cultivators of peace? And I thought, and I thought, and I thought, I thought, Jesus, what is it that you're doing in the world right now? And what declarations are you making over humanity? And what are you saying to us as Jesus' followers? He says, you are my kids, and with you I am well pleased. And then I thought about this term that theologians use quite a bit, and the term is called eschatological realism, something that you all are probably familiar with, eschatological realism. And eschatology has to do with future events, like what's coming. Eschatological realism is a way of describing who we are becoming as we walk with Jesus. So, instead of being pushed through life, we are being pulled into some kind of beautiful reality. Now, you think about guilt and shame for a moment. Are, are any of you familiar with these terms, guilt and shame? You've experienced these things. And so guilt has a way of kind of entering into the body. You feel a sense of like, I've done something wrong and that's a healthy thing. And so in order to make that right, there's certain things that I have to do. Guilt is something that we can kind of manage as people. But shame, that's a difficult one. Shame doesn't say, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Shame doesn't say, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And that stuff goes in really, really deep. And the religious impulse loves to enter into that stuff and try to overcome it by making ourselves look really, really good. Problem is, is it doesn't work. Now think about this. Eschatological realism doesn't push us through life. It pulls us into the future. Instead of being pushed by guilt and shame, what Jesus does is Jesus invites, he says, repent, teshuva, return, come back to who you are. Step into the deepest reality that you are loved even before you utter a word, even before you make a first move, you get pulled into the future. Imagine how that would change the outcome of life if you surrendered to the pull. Instead of getting pushed, you're getting pulled into a beautiful future. You are actually becoming the person that God created you to become. It's like when you begin to walk with Jesus, the realest parts of you begin to get fully 
expressed. And when you are fully you, when you know that you are delighted in, you begin to find that joy will increase in your life. You think of all the things that deplete joy in life, duty, performance, not being the truest expression of yourself, entering into a community thinking like, if these people only knew, they'd check out on me in a heartbeat, right? But if they really, really, really knew me, would they still want to be with me? Would they still like me? Would they still accept me in this community if they really, really knew the things that I had done in life? Evergreen. We do not want to judge people. Instead, we want to be a people who embrace everyone. My question to that is, okay, really? Is that what we want? Is that what we hope to become? Do we, do we want to be the kinds of people that actually invite people into the poll? Into, ah, that's not who you are. This is who you are. Step fully into who you are becoming as a Christ follower. That eschatological realism And as I thought about joy and I thought about God pulling us in, I was reading this week that actually the face of God is connected to joy. And we're about to sing the blessing. And the blessing out of Deuteronomy says, Now may the Lord God bless you, may he keep you, may he cause his face to shine upon you. Joy. Imagine if we could take a moment every day and realize that the face of God is shining upon us and we could be shining back at him. And imagine being the kind of community that every time somebody walked in the room, we actually were delighted to see them. Like what a delight it is to see you, to truly see you, to be here with you. If we became a kind of community that delighted in one another. I'm going to invite Jared and Linnea to come back up and they're going to sing the blessing over us. And as they're moving into that space, I want to invite us into a practice this week. And here's what I would like us to do. I want you to think of a memory that makes you feel grateful and connected to God in that moment. Think of a memory that makes you feel connected to God in that moment, and then I want you to relive that moment for 10 seconds. All right? Take a moment. Go back to that moment. And then sit with it for 10 seconds. question for you, and these are important questions. What did you feel in your body when you relived that moment? What do you think God wanted to impress on you in that memory? What did you feel in your body, and what do you think God wanted to impress on you? Here's the invitation for this week. Create a list of those memories. Create 10 of them. Every day, 
practice those connection points. Pay attention to what's going on in your body and ask the question, what does God want to impress on me? As you go this week and as you find yourself in the hallways and in the shopping centers of Costco, Target, wherever life leads you this week, my hope and my invitation for you is that you would open your eyes and see that you are delighted in simply because you're you for no other reason. God's face shine upon you and so that joy can begin to open up in you and pull you forward. And may the Holy Spirit lift up his countenance upon you and give you the deepest sense of shalom, the kind that holds you together and helps you realize you're going to be okay. Go now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and may grace and peace be with you.